Checking in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for another Tacky Talk in his office on Beacon Hill today. Hi, Tacky. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. Uh, today is the 26th of October. Halloween is rolling around fast, and uh, we are having a late summer, fall, wonderful week. I know. It's awesome. I can't wait. Uh, I'm going to be maybe laying out on the beach <laughs> one last well, time. I, well, I suspect uh, I'll be getting uh, some much-needed yard work done. Uh, my mom has... Uh, want to do a fire pit for her friends barbecue at some point and of course these weekends have not been easy to deal with so uh, it is very clear that i'll be uh, <laughs> i know exactly what i'm doing <laughs> As be guys, spores yeah. at tacky's house all right <laughs> oh yeah mowing the lawn getting the, the fire pit out that's been you know covered up all year and setting the whole thing up and you know playing host for my mom this weekend <laughs> very nice very nice it makes us really does make us appreciate you know, family and friends and, and neighborhood events um, like that. It's just, when you see things that that are happening, like obviously we have to talk about what's happened in Maine, uh, the mass shooting today. And it really, it, it hits home how important it is to have a safe community. Well, again, also COVID changed how we approach things in life. And, you know, as I kept reminding folks, they do age. And my mom is also getting up in years and trying to have her enjoy, you know, as much as possible with her friends and, you know, family, you know, as we can. And, Everyone's lives are busy. I mean, this is kind of growing older, right? Everyone has felt this and people's priorities change. But, you know, at a certain stage, you know, all of us have loved ones that, you know, there's, a, there's time to put a little extra in, effort in. And you all know my life is kind of chaotic. Uh, but, you know, I have to. I just have to at this point, right? It's it's uh, time you're not going to get back. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so you are in the office. So what is going on at the State House these days? Well, it's uh, been pretty busy for me anyway. I mean, we're still processing bills. I'm taking meetings. You know, today, you know, I have a meeting with a director of the Master's Office of International Trade. Uh, actually, he's an old friend from my days in the state senate. Uh, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, trade or whatnot. I do actually talk about international affairs, as you know. And part of the job involves engaging consulates and other businesses looking to do business in Massachusetts. And I'll see what his thoughts are. Uh, and... Uh, you know, we also have some meeting with the speaker's office today. Talk about, you know, getting ready for the next set of bill releases as we are close to joint lieutenant in the first week of February. I know it's October, but you can't wait till the last minute. Um, even though we do behave like the last minute when it comes to doing things in session, but the committees really need to be ready to go long before the deadline comes. Uh, so I have those meetings up today. Meeting an old friend as well who works for Mass Housing. Another friend from my younger state house days. And, you know, we're going to play some catch up and see what's going on there. Um, yesterday, you know, I had a meeting with Secretary Ed Augustus, you know, a former senator who worked down the hall uh, from uh, Michael Morrissey when I was in the Senate. He was there for four years. And you see a recurring theme in my job, you know, uh, all these everything friends, old is new again. <laughs> everything old is new again. Uh, so, as I say, the bad pennies will always repair my door. Uh, no, we had some great catch up. I mean, me and Senator, I mean, uh, Secretary now Augustus. As well as, you know, talk about, you know, housing development and um, the importance of public housing and infrastructure associated with it. And, uh, you know, how can we you know, create ways to do affordable housing, which is a lot harder people to get credit for. You know, there's a lot of economic housing models around the world that discuss the field. Places like, you know, Singapore, you know, how to try to do it in Japan and other locales. But there's distinct regulatory and property rights differentials. For example, places like Singapore, you don't have a lot of property rights. Mm. Right? You know, Japan has a really tight-knit control regarding property development, uh, enormous control. Um, but here, you know, there's different costs. Everyone has a different cost. Everybody has different labor 
requirements. Everyone has different labor uh, expertise too. It's not all equal everywhere. And, uh, and there's also, you know, whether or not there's government subsidies involved and, you know, who actually is the control based on the size of demand. So we had a long talk about, you know, that kind of uh, challenges in the public policy and, you know, development is, you know, it's not as simple as say the government tells you what you do, but it's a commercial issue, right? It's, we're a capitalist country. So, you know, who has, you know, the uh, right bargaining position, for lack of a better term, based on the current market uh, to create ho- housing did the state you know, city uh, is looking for. And uh, there's a big difference between Worcester and Boston, big difference between uh, North Adams and Brockton. So, mm-hmm. you know, every community is different uh, and the challenges are different. It's not like some other places where uh, a state, county, or centralized government in their, in their different countries you know, have enormous control uh, versus here where, you know, a lot of private property owners have a lot of rights regarding how it develops. I know people complain about zoning, I've heard that too. But you'd be shocked exactly how much you can do here that you can't do in other countries. Uh, people tend to forget you actually have a lot more control than you realize, uh, both private, residential, as well as commercial. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. So we also did the uh, Commonwealth One Commonwealth program yesterday. You know, over 100 communities received uh, part of, uh, I believe, 106 million dollars in grants. I did that. This, we did that to old Suffolk Downs. So over to the governor, Secretary Howe, Economic Development Secretary Augustus, Mayor Keith from Revere was our host. I hope I got that right. Um, and, uh, you know, we had you know, a couple of dozen legislators and, you know, about maybe a hundred uh, local officials around the entire state, you know, you know celebrating the fact that the governor's office is going to be heavily investing in infrastructure uh, associated with more housing. And she made a pitch for a housing bond bill. And the, the legislature uh, just got that uh, early last week. And, you know, we're going to probably take the winter time to take a closer look at that. Uh, the committee on housing is actually an other former Senate staffer. <laughs> See every recurring theme, people? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, chairman Jim Asaro, uh is actually the chairman of housing. So, you know, he's looking at that uh, bill probably through the winter of the spring and I'll probably making a phone call at some point uh, by Christmas. Hey, Jim. <laughs> Lindsay can use some stuff. Uh, just yeah, <laughs> I'll be curious to see if um, you know things like vacant uh, shopping malls or, or vacant uh, office buildings, or even we heard about you know the Gillette uh, announcement earlier this week. If if developers look at those types of properties uh, for potential new housing, well, actually, we did talk a little bit that, about that with Secretary Augustus, and you know, it's not we talked about this here on the show, and not surprising, you know, the rates, interest rates matter. Right. Uh, I'm not old enough for this, but some of your viewers may be, you know, back in the day when you had interest rates at 11 percent. And I was much young for that. But my dad, you know, first home, the interest rate you know, was at like nine and a half percent. Right. So, you know, that's going to be a big factor. Well, we're still far away from there. You know, I was a colonial federal. They were doing six point five percent, you know, home mortgages. Uh, but, you know, some places going as close to seven and a half and heading towards eight. And uh, you look at the 30-year bond, I mean, it's it's clearing 5%. So, you know, the uh, the bond market is it's gone crazy. If you look at the yields in terms of math, it's, yeah, I've been spending time learning about bond markets as part of my job. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that long yields, you know, it's uh, at uh, over five, uh, you know, the 10-year sneaking closer to five uh, and playing over and under uh, every so often 5%. You know, it means that you know, the bank's going to want to two percent, and uh, that means you have a, you know interest rates starting at seven and higher, depending on how uh, how much you know, the bank needs to cut. So, 
you know, there's a lot of things going to be going on in the housing market, particularly at a place where people are not going to give the homes when they have an interest rate under 3%, they're not going to be inclined to move. You already have a shortage already, and people right. aren't inclined to move. And even people who do have means, you know, you have substantial means. I mean, you might buy a home in Florida, even to higher interest rates because you can afford it, but you're not going to give you a very high property value in, in Massachusetts. I mean, why would you surrender uh, a sh- home shortage reason over low interest rate and you can afford to buy uh, another home, uh, you know, whether to uh, vacation or uh, the uh, investment rental mm-hmm. someplace else, you know, in a lower uh, income tax state. Why would you ever surrender a place where you know your valuation on your property may be going up 20% in five years? Yeah, you wouldn't. It wouldn't make financial sense, right? Exactly. You'd lose money, actually. Yeah, this is kind of the strange myth about the exodus from Massachusetts. It is true. And it's also not true. If people were reading fleeing, you would have a massive influx of new homes available for purchase. Mass Realtors, I believe two months ago, has said that the you know we're looking at the lowest uh, home sale that isn't new homes, uh, existing home sales they've seen in a very long time now. We may see the same type of movement uh, that is so slow that it's going to probably you know probably legitimately reflect the financial crisis of 2008. Yep, yep, and and prices continue to, to rise, you know, uh, along with that. So you wouldn't see that either. Yeah, and, and build, new build costs are going to continue to go up, largely driven by interest rates and fuel prices. So you know, this is going to be a real housing market crunch as how home builders are now finishing off, you know, the two, three, four percent interest construction, and they probably locked in their pricing materials smartly uh, before COVID hit, uh, and that eventually is going to get exhausted. And then you know, whatever new construction comes up, whether it be commercial construction or, or residential construction, you know, the, the new interest rates you see now, plus the higher cost of doing business. Again, fuel prices are up, materials are up, labor is up. Uh, today's GDP number is 4.9%. 4.9%. The, you know, generally, a GDP, you know, and even a strong economy, is closer to three and below. Yeah. And the uh, new... Uh, New unemployment applications only rose by 10,000, uh, which is not a lot on a national level. So unemployment's going to still stay under 4% and probably mm-hmm. you know, probably close to 3.7 again, perhaps by year end. So you know, quarter three GDP shows that the U.S. economy to be extraordinarily strong. Uh, and, uh, and But it, mind you, this is delayed information, right? It's previous quarter, so it doesn't reflect what's happening today. And I still believe that you know, student loan debt forgiveness ending, uh, suspension of student loan payments, you know, is going to have some kind of impact soon. I agree. Yeah, it's uh, people just won't have that that uh, expendable cash anymore. Uh, so that's definitely going to have an impact. But like you say, it's it's delayed. So I'm sure that, that the Fed is is waiting to see what what the actual numbers will be before they take their next move. Yeah, the next opportunity for them to do a hike is in early November. I, I'm expecting a skip. You know, it may be seen in December. I mean, the bond yields are kind of taking care of itself. The market is you know, zigzaggy, crazy if you watch the markets. And, you know, look at the GP numbers and, you know, the production numbers, factory production cost 50%. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like the UAW is going to settle there, uh, have a contract on the strike against Ford. And that was last night. Uh, it Again, it's only media reports. You know, you don't believe it until you actually see it. But, I mean, you're looking at like an 11% one-time bump. Contracts four and a half years. Uh, you know, at the end of it all, they're looking at a 30% bump, you know, not in sense of 30% in one year, but 11% for first year. And then, like, it adds up each percentage per year. Um, yeah. With cost of living adjustments and 
eliminate the two-tier employment system, make everybody equal employees as opposed to a set that receive benefits and a set that's not, which is actually a big deal for unions because, you know, under federal law, we can't allow one set of employees that not be treated as other employees mm -hmm. or um, unless you have a collective bargaining agreement or you're a public 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 employee. Yeah. Uh, which, which they're allowed to do that. That's why we yeah. have to I'm glad you brought that up, Tacky. Um, what about what do you think about the bill to allow um, teachers to strike? Well, this becomes a, we talked about this a little bit a few months back. This becomes an interesting question, right? Pub, you know, there are essential public employees, including teachers, and teachers have had planned strikes. Mm -hmm. you remember yeah. back when uh, Mayor a family was around, they did mm -hmm. a labor day strike, but that was a planned strike. People got noticed, administrators got noticed to get substitute teachers, you know, to to try to you know manage a couple of days, and that was that. Now, unplanned strikes is the problem. Okay. Right? You can just decide, you know, middle of a classroom day, walk out of the classroom. Oh, is that what this bill would do? Is, is yes, this gives oh. them unplanned strikes. They can okay. strike, but it's a planned strike. You actually coordinate with administration to ensure that, you know, there is coverage. Parents know, you do know, before it happens, and then people can try to work around it. And generally, it's like for a few days at a time. Unplanned strikes is different. And plan strikes mean to get up at 10 a.m. and just walk off. Right. And then you want to get a call at home as a parent going, you know, hey, you, you know, your third grader needs to get picked up. And more likely you'll be at work when you get that call. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different thing. Again, Dave Straw. Again, remember Mayor Fan on Labor Day weekend? Oh, I remember. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the unions get fined, I know. They do. Um, so this is a, you know, what they want to do is a little bit different than what they're currently allowed to do. Um, you know, police unions, firefighters unions do strike, but they strike differently. They're always on duty, yes. but they, they protest on their own time. Right. Yep. Yep. Right. And even uh, and even nurses have to provide notification to a hospital that they're walking off, so the hospital can do preparation uh, to either downsize their patient load, or you know, bring in temporary workers. I see. Uh, okay. Because you know, people are gonna die if the nurses just vanish. You know, in the middle of surgery. Right. Yep. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> we took the heart out, but we're going to go on strike, so we're not going to put the new heart in. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, I don't think any nurse would do that anyway. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, no nurse would decide to just walk off in the middle of surgery. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, they're, they're very intelligent and capable professional people. But they're also oh, nurses. they basically run the hospitals for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. It's it's a ridiculous thought, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's a... Uh, but it's you know kind of like the idea that you can just walk off the job, right? Even, even the board strikes were reasonable. When UAW uh, told Stellantis and GM, you know, where they were coming to close down next, at least gave them a couple of days notice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you know, even UAW strikes wasn't like you know we're just gonna like you know smack you in the middle of the day. They're like, okay, we're right. gonna this plan now, give you about you know a few days notice, so at least you know. And, uh, you know, both GM and Solantis have been doing massive layoffs for non-union workers. Um, and uh, it's also had an impact on the food chain of uh, the economy, you know, parts, mechanics, you know, dealers. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to start ripple effects actually being felt, you know, down the rest of the, the economic chain. And car manufacturing, the car industry, the totality of the factory into car dealership, the mechanics, the parts, you know, everything else is like almost 10% of the workforce. Right? Big, yeah, it's big, yeah. It's very big once you're factoring all the components, the accountants, the attorneys, the janitors, I mean, everything. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, supplying, cleaning supplies, windshield wiper fluids, I mean, everything. Everything, yeah. Stuff you don't even think of, I'm sure, yeah.
Yeah, it's it's a it's a massive part of the country's economy. So, um, you know, people you know people look at like one industry, but don't really think about the ripple of economic effects of that one industry. Mm. Same thing with small business, right? You have a small business in Quincy Center, depending on the type of business. You know, they may buy a local, they may not buy local, but mm-hmm. local economy and keeping commerce moving, not just customers coming in the door, but also all the various things they need to need to do, whether paying rent for a landlord or, or buying uh, local goods from. You know, right. from a local vendor. So, you know, the same principle of coming manufacturing on a big, big scale. So, yep. we'll see how it comes up. But I'm, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm likely to believe a bill is going to pass loud, uh, just no notice. As, as it is, at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, don't don't let people believe that they can't strike. They can't. It's just a planned strike. Okay, gotcha. Um, we talk a little bit about the. Um... The Quincy Center MBTA station, I know that there was supposed to be a press conference. Uh, there were some communication issues, didn't mm-hmm. happen, but I'm told that there will eventually be an announcement about a new Quincy Center T station and and the state money, $100 million is already approved for it. Yeah, no idea. Uh, okay. We talked about it very briefly last week. I got no news to tell you. Okay. Uh, so at some point, hopefully, we'll someone will tell the rep that represents Quincy Center that what's going on. I'm not, I've said it before last time, I'm not participatory regarding the conversations, not participatory regarding the planning. Um, well, I'm just cut out. So I'm aware the city is the planning component. They were part of a transportation bond bill. Um, there was somebody allocated a transportation bond bill towards uh, the planning and design component. Um, I don't know besides the project. I know that if this becomes like a complete bill, including um, anything over the train tracks. I mean, this could you know cost a bit of dollars depending on the scope. Um, but obviously, parking is a priority, public safety is a priority, and of course, traffic configuration should be those should be the big priorities in the short term. Right. But yeah, I have no clue, guys. Okay, word to the wise. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what I know, and I tell you what I don't know. I don't I don't make stuff up. Exactly. Speaking of the tea. Poor Philip Eng. <laughs> another issue to deal with on the Green Line. Yeah, I had another local reporter grab me about the uh, tea and asking what I was doing about it. I'm sure many constituents will continue asking. You know, uh, as they find out new things, you can't major, make a wave a magic wand and expect a resolution immediately on, on dealing with it. My understanding is the ties. So if you've been on the Green Line, you notice they're concrete ties and uh, with metal rail. And the ties are not um, long-term sturdy, how's that sound, before this, between the New England weather and the vibrations, the concrete cracks. And the ties crack, the, the, the rail shift, the rail shift, mm-hmm. it shifts with the rail and the train won't be on the rail anymore. Cheap construction leads to cheap results in the long run. So most of you know that wooden ties, you know, are basically petrified wood, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. And, you know, they'll, they'll last a long time, no longer than concrete. So uh, why concrete? It's cheap. And they, no one likes paying tea fares because they're still expensive. But, you know, you have to pay for something somewhere. You get to, you get cheap. You get cheap things. Right. And, uh, you say, oh, my fare should be paying for that stuff. Well, wood's more expensive than concrete. I don't know how much more expensive, but you talk to anyone in the construction industry, they're going to tell you, you know, it's specialized where the ties are going to be very expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, even at the local lumber yards, I mean, one sheet of plywood is gone from like, I don't know, 20 bucks to 80 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I don't know how uh, the general manager is going to 
he manages capital budget. I mean, you know, I know the feds are a big part of uh, you know, the MBTA, the state is, and of course the riders are, and any other secondary income with advertising you know, as part of the T, but this is bond debt, not cash debt. Yeah. And I, I have, I still don't know, honestly, how he's going to manage his capital budget, given the sheer volume of crewmen's. And uh, uh, his prior, his predecessor, you know, also did a lot of bonding for capital crewmen's, including the JFK brand new switching system which was literally like 100 years old right they redid the entire orange line rail uh rail components because you know again antiquated stuff i heard some horror stories about some of the construction they found in the system which would not make code today in any way shape or form um of course you know the vibrational damages associated red line that you've all been living with with these delays uh because again they modern methods of rail and it requires three checks before uh, regular speeds allowed i'm sure 50 years ago there were no three checks yeah so it's just it's like you said it's been that long of of neglect 50 you know 50 years that they're trying to deal with now different safety standards too people think yeah. the standards you had to have today is not just safety standards when the t was constructed over 110 years ago mm. believe me i'm doubtful they had ultrasound machines a hundred years ago, they confirmed that the rail integrity was okay. Mm -hmm. Back then, they didn't check for rail integrity. You just get replacing stuff and then hope that its, its foundation was settled correctly. Off you go. I right. don't think it three, you know, three weeks of five miles an hour in certain stretches to make sure this will be no derailment. It's 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 different, folks. I mean, people have this perception of a rail replacement like watching it in, in the old movies it's not this is this is a whole new world oh yeah oh yeah 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 that's you know people talk about how good public transportation is in europe but they pay dearly for it oh yeah it's essentially a private enterprise mm -hmm. in most, most most places outside the united states i mean those you know i, I travel rail in, in japan and hong kong and uh, bangkok and uh, other parts of the world and, uh, you know, I've actually had the privilege of talking to people who run rail in Hong Kong, in uh, Japan. They're privatized. Mm -hmm. They're basically treating with the public utility where the privatized entities that the government set their rates. Right. And uh, they're, they're shareholders. People buy stock in this company, including the government itself, which is, you know, in Hong Kong's case, is 51% of shareholders. Mm -hmm. And the Hong Kong government has been marketing themselves as a privatization entity in places like Europe. To run the rail system at a profit so uh you know i tell folks i mean yeah i mean you know what you're paying now could is literally probably 20 nowadays with infl new inflation that we face you know probably 15 to 20 times would probably be market rate of what you're paying now to even bring the system to you know zero balance sheet right 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 so if the public would never go for that it would never fly no and we also are flats rate. we don't do distance i think us in new york are the last ones on the planet do flat rate system. Everyone knows distance space. You go to the machine, you punch in how, where's your destination, and then um, the destination will come up and we pay you one time ticket and you go out. If mm -hmm. you have a, a trolley card system, it isn't you know as many as you want. It's a uh, cash refill. So you have a card. It's actually cash on a card, and as you come in off the rail, you know, it will deduct from your cash account. But you also can use the same card to buy goods in many stations because they, they, the little shops in the stations or big mm -hmm. shops or a place like Hong Kong where there's basically a shopping plaza as part of the mm -hmm. rail. You can buy your goods and whatnot on the way home, baked goods, you know, sundries, whatever. 
and you know detergent. I mean, it's basically a shopping block, right? Well, um, I mean, in many, especially urban areas, that might be the only access they have to to goods and services. You know, yeah, it's convenient, right? You get on the train. It is uber crowded, by the way. It's not like other countries don't have crowded trains, but you can buy stuff, anything you yeah. need on your home. Right? I'll get off the train and you pick it up and walk home, what, depending on what station you're in. But you know, let's say a hundred dollars. You know, in your card, they may give you like a 20% discount for having the cash in the card. Hmm. But if you pay the distance, so you're the furthest away in the rail, you're going to pay the most. Mm -hmm. Trips pay less. And, um, you know, we don't do that in New York or Massachusetts. Everyone else right. is distance based. And it's not unlimited rides for your commuter pass, it is cash based. Yeah. So, as you, what I'm getting at is very simple, you know, is that we don't run a system, a fair system like anywhere else in the world. And secondly, you know, it's inequitable, right? If you travel a short distance or long distance, people pay the same. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you that's know. very true. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the more you use, the, you know, in terms of business, you know, the more you pay. You yeah. just, you know, short distance between work and seeing your friends one stop over, right? And obviously, you pay less. And uh, and also, like I said, they're privatized entities. So, you know, when they visit Hong Kong, and hopefully they'll get to visit again at some point, um, it's been... Not since before COVID, um, you know, it looks really cheap because it's one point seven five ish Hong Kong dollars to one dollar. So, you know, as you know, some of the visits, I look at the fare system. You know, it's like you know seventy five cents to go four stops or whatever, and I'm like, oh, this is a great deal. But then you look at the, you have to recognize that the capita of Hong Kong is actually not that high. Mm -hmm. And then once you factor in the pack the pack uh, per capita calculation head about you know the fare system, you realize that. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, every day. Yeah, that adds up quickly. Yep. You know, in the one point seven five Hong Kong to US dollars, you know, the currency is much weaker than ours. So my dollar goes further in Hong Kong. Yeah. You know, it's not a cheap. It's not a cheap city by any stretch, but my dollar does go further. Right. You know, uh, here, the per capita is very high in Massachusetts, uh, and we look at what you pay for fares versus the size of the capita because we're one of the you know, one of the top ten per capitas in the world. Yeah, you know, it's it, it. That's how you got to look at it. I mean, it, you can. It's it's hard to do the math because it's not a one-on-one -on -one comparison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Hong Kong rail system. You look at the compact, uh, per capita of an individual, uh, and then you look at the the rail system. You can't say it's a flat rate, but you know Massachusetts cap is very high, and then you look at the flat rate and you realize that you know it is high, but other countries aren't so so fortunate. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, hey, since last we talked, Jackie, the House has a new speaker. Yeah, no, well, for now. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind down there in Washington. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ron Mariano is still here. I'm very happy. So we're done with Oh, I didn't meet at the State House. No, <laughs> different house. Um, yeah, uh, look, I mean, uh, when your rules allow one person to, you know, create no confidence in Florida, you know, prevent a speaker from happening, I mean, I don't know how else to frame it. Uh, I will say that, you know, hopefully they'll get some work done between now and their holiday break. Um, and uh, there'll be a see if there's going to be a, a team reshuffle on uh, the leadership team as well as the chairs. Uh, and during the mid shift in the middle of a potential federal government close down in what, three, less than three weeks or so? November 17th, I think, yeah. Yeah, so about four, uh, under four weeks, plus, you know, you have international crises, you know, of our historical allies in other parts of the world, plus, you know, a massive amount of debt, 
plus inflation still high. You know, you know, you got a lot of things going on at once down there that are big picture, not counting the small stuff that I don't know what the small stuff looks like. Like you already watch the news, they don't have special insight in Congress in terms of small work. Um, you know, this guy may be gone by like November 15th. Is what <laughs> I mean, who, who knows, right? Um, I don't know much about him. You know, obviously the press is talking about him being, you know, election denier and yeah. filed suits and, you know, all that stuff. But it's one thing uh, to be, you know, backbench doing that instead of thing to be speaker. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. So the turmoil continues, I guess. Just because you can do stuff in the back bench doesn't mean you can do the same thing when you're leading the caucus. No, you're in the spotlight at that point. Yeah. Telling you right now, uh, it's a different responsibility. Yeah. Right. Different spotlight. So, you know, and he's got to still lead. And, uh, you know, I think we're talking about this in the office here. I mean, I think there was a point where you just beat everyone to submission. You reached a point of ridiculousness. And everyone just fell in line because they just got tired of this. And they all know, everyone knows that they're tired of what they got today in leadership. All it takes one person to take them out. That's right. Yeah. I can't can't help but think um, because uh, uh, President uh, John Adams' uh, 288th birthday anniversary is coming up actually on October 30th at the Church of Presidents, what he would think about all this today. Well, I mean, we know if you know about the founding fathers, they didn't all agree. Oh, I mean, for sure. Yeah. If you read the Federalist Papers, and it's been a long time since I did that in college, I mean, it's basically a, uh, not a journal just of the votes and the different conversations that should be in the Constitution and how to find a nation, but also the massive amount of arguments uh, between them all. But, you mm-hmm. know, the goal was to, you know, somehow make something happen. And everybody had to swallow the pride and decide how to uh, give and take just to make things move forward. And, and what was the sometimes, you know, devil's choice, uh, so to speak, in, in certain cases. Um, same thing happened to Kevin McCarthy. He made a devil's choice. Yep. Exactly choice right. one, yep. Yeah, one person can get ready. And that was the devil's choice he made. And I always, you know, kind of say that, you know, some of the things in life kick, kick the can down the road and deal with it later. Well, later eventually happens. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sometimes I think they hope that uh, they'll, they'll retire before the later happens, but it didn't happen for him. <laughs> no, not for him. Uh, and this, it may happen to this guy, too. It may. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, locally here, things are running smoothly, thankfully. No, I mean, it's pretty quiet overall. I mean, obviously, you can see the massive amount of work the city's doing right now on Construction, and you know, paving season's going to be coming to an end soon. You can hope for some more warmer days like today into November before the um, asphalt businesses shut down for the winter time. So, I mean, there's definitely uh, a pickup, not just on uh, city work, but also utilities. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going on all over the place. So, you know, trying to get to the end. But overall, I mean, it's pretty quiet uh, around here. I mean, anything you've seen in the news is still going on, but. Very few new stuff that's really happening in terms of yeah yeah I haven't heard a lot yet about uh, what energy rates will look like this coming winter. Um, do you know if those been set by the utilities? Yeah, um, I'm trying to make remember something they t- talked about two months ago. Thank you. Uh, I th- I think gas rates are very modest increase. I think it was about five percent. That sounds right. Yeah, I want to say that electrical prices seventeen, but I don't think that's the right number. Um, it did go well, but it wasn't like 52%. Okay, um, yeah. It's substantially lower. So um, you got to feel in your bill. 
um, but it won't be as monstrosous monstrosous as last time. Yeah. And again, strongly encourage everyone, Mass Save, you know, go to the Mass Save website, you know, see you can get a home energy check. And you know, again, I've always encouraged people to try to um, you know, use their you know gas and electricity more efficiently. Mm. If you're on like a you know, heating pump, you're gonna get a little bit more relief this time on your heating pump from electric bills. Yeah, yeah. And I know there are some assistance programs. Uh, the state helps out with QCAP and um, Salvation Army. So if folks qualify, they should look into those. Yeah, if you qualify for a number of different um, government programs, the odds of you going to qualify for uh, low-income fuel assistance programs, particularly people in oil, um, as we continue to phase out oil, even um, uh, the so- in the socioeconomic scale, mm-hmm. uh, people lower means you know don't have a choice but oil because it's very costly to ship over the gas right yeah absolutely uh we're at the end of our hour tacky yeah um you always ask me where i am so today i'm in the office uh <laughs> and uh 617-722-2370 617-722-2370 is the um, phone number of the office, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. I do read all your emails, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. And uh, can't always get back to you right away. We do prioritize, again, constituent requests first. Uh, my office is trying to help out, but I do read everything and, and follow it away to different folders, a lot of different folders now in my email system, uh, given the volume I get, as well as uh, state reps of Tacky Chan Facebook, you know, X. Which is at, at Tacky Chan. Um, we have the MALegislature.gov. You can look up bills and look at all public hearings and sessions on your own, as well as um, TackyChan.org, which is a reference page. It appears to QATV, you know, on your podcast and YouTube, favorite podcast station. And catch Joe in the morning to catch up on short news uh, on what's going around the city. And, uh, and I want to say a quick congratulations to uh, Julia Burden. We're done. I try to remember. Oh, uh, Bourbon, yep. Bourbon from uh, North Windsor High School and receiving the Massachusetts Biotech Foundation Award for our work in education on the sciences. I'll be seeing her tonight uh, for his presentation at the Museum of Science. And uh, tomorrow, actually, I'm going to be celebrating my, um, I get a win uh, every so often on the data equity issue requiring the state government to uh, better collect data on different ethnic groups as part of their studies and services that we provide. So we're going to have a little press get together tomorrow in the meantime at the Windsor YMCA and some uh, community groups and just a little, you know, little, little victory lap. Oh, very nice. Congratulations. That's very nice. Yep. If you think uh, of literally do a victory lap, it's always an option to why. <laughs> I want to see a video of that. You're running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time we talk, it'll be November, Jackie. <laughs> it will be. Uh, Halloween's on Tuesday. Um, and uh, Birthday to speaker next week, by the way. So, wishing speaker a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful birthday as well. So, I'll catch you most likely November 1st or 2nd. All right. Sounds good. Have a good week. You too. Take care.